Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am L.J. LaFura. Alongside me, I've got Brandon Karam, and we are a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Today is our 7-11, June 11th podcast. Unlike the actual place, our content will not give you food poisoning. Brandon, how are you doing? Are we sure that it, that our content does not give people food poisoning? We haven't confirmed it. We have not confirmed it. However, I think our, either way, our percentages are lower than 7-Eleven. Very valid point. Uh, I'm doing good. Last day of the first half of the season. Uh, so this is the last episode for us until Thursday when we return for one game, which is the Yankees and Red Sox. LJ, I think that that Akike Hernandez summed that up well uh, by <laughs> ripping the MLB and saying, "All the LJ, this is the one thing me and you will agree on when it comes to the Red Sox and Yankees. Total bullshit. And why does every other team, like, like Akike Hernandez said, get four days off? 28 other teams get four days off. But for the Yankees and Red Sox, it's like, no, let's just have them play the only game uh, of the day. And then also I see what you put here for the title. If you want to get into this now uh, games today on the same day that we have like the futures game and the draft just seems like a bit unnecessary. I've always thought that 162 was way too on this on like just way too much. And that this is a talk for another day, but if they were to shorten the season to like 150 games, you could take today off. And it wouldn't be a problem. And guys would get a more extended all-star or all-star break. Yeah, you should have given today's games off. You should have found a way to make it fit so that the Red Sox and Yankees at least didn't play today. I think that's that's the fairest trade-off you could have made. Like, if I'm correct, every other team played today or was supposed to play well, today. Every team plays every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Or Saturday, Sunday, even. More than Friday likely Friday. Friday. More than likely Friday. But yes, yeah, there, still, like, there are Friday off days now. That's the thing. There are Friday off days now, but like we can't get this. Um, the Red Sox and Yankees coming back a day early actually makes no sense. Can, can some if somebody can explain to me why that 
time slot that they found on that random ass day is so valuable. Like how much, how much more money are we talking that the league is going to get by putting a Red Sox Yankees game on that day? Well, not only that, that's not my issue is that I just thought about it, LJ, like you say, Friday off day, opening day was on Thursday, April 1st. I remember now the Yankees were off on Friday, April 2nd. We played on opening day and lost an extra innings. And then we had an off day. Why couldn't we just play all three games in that series or all four games in that series? Cause we only ended up playing three. Why couldn't we play four against the blue Jays that weekend? And then we could have, we could have not had to play the Red Sox here. I mean, wouldn't that make sense? It's just, yeah, how much money is the league really making? Because it's the game on ESPN. I'm going to assume if it's the only game, that it must be on national TV. If, if this game is just on, like, yes, and on the local networks, this is the worst scheduling I've ever seen. Like, do we know? Okay, yeah, it is on ESPN. So, yeah, but I don't fair care. enough, there's, but still, ESPN there's no good that. reason for it. Also, I, I'm kind of, again, pulling this out of thin air. But if I am correct, there is typically, rather whether you have a thir- Thursday, a Friday, or a Monday, it's usually like one day, right? Or is it two? A week off. Oh, no. It's like you only get like three or four off days a month. So, like, yeah, so, one so day. therefore, why don't we just do it like the KBO does it? Why don't we just do every Monday or every Thursday? Everyone has off. Except for opening weekend, every Monday, or yeah, er, sorry, except for opening weekend, every Thursday, everyone's off. I think MLB Daily would appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, yeah, I mean, that I feel like teams would like that. They're, it's pretty uniform. And let's be honest, I mean, you could. So you're so you're playing six games a week. So that's just two, three game series a week, right? Yeah. And then worst case scenario, like yes, you are going to get a rainout or stuff and such, but you could always play those rainout games on the off day because we see MLB teams now play 14, 15 games in a row. You would only be playing a max of like, I mean, if you take the off day, yeah, it would be like thirteen or fourteen, but still, I mean. I think that that would be good scheduling because they still play over 140 games in the KBO, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I would be, hey, we should pitch that to the Players Association because now they're about to bring back the nine-inning double headers, which is just so right. dumb. Well, no, here, no, here's what it is. I saw someone talking about it. It all has to do with the CBA, of course. Basically, the league is going to bring up all of these rules that, like, we don't want to change. Like, obviously, we, we, we want to keep the seven-inning seven double headers, But then it's going to make it look like the, that the players actually won something in the CBA when they do get that. So that way, the owners can just maintain more control throughout the whole thing. So it's like they're going to give the players seven-inning doubleheaders. They're going to give them the universal dh but at the end of the day they're still going to come out on top that's, well let's be that's, let's be real that's here. the conversation that i've seen the surrounding uh what's been going on uh, lately and i'm sure we're going to talk about it a lot as we get closer to that in the off season but that's going to be a very big story let's be real here they already the owners already won this cba 
because we're still at a point where we're, we're trying to mend fences between the position players and the pitchers. Yeah. I mean, there it's not, I'm sure it won't be a divided, completely divided front when it comes into this. However, it, it's not going to be like the, the dynamic isn't going to be perfect. And I'm sure they're going to find other ways to drive the union apart as they continue on, on this path. But I'll tell you, this is going to sound blasphemous. I'm starting to feel that I wouldn't be mad if all games were seven innings. Whoa. Like I wouldn't, like as much as I, I I'm, I, I'm all for, nine innings like i'm good with it i don't have an issue i can sit through a nine inning game however i think it makes more interest more interesting matchups because you have the starter going deeper more consistently as well as like i don't know i feel like bullpen games work more without those extra two innings well, like, not only that, but I feel like a lot, a lot more people would be fans of baseball, don't you think? I mean, you could sit down, and now instead of a three-and-a-half-hour game, it's a two-hour game or two-hour and 20-minute game, and it's like, all right, like, that only was two hours and 20 minutes out of my day. I just watched probably some pretty entertaining baseball. And then if you still want to go crazy, you could do the – runner on second base which uh, 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 this is just my opinion i get that we're doing the seven inning double headers but is it really necessary to start the runner on second base in the eighth inning like i mean that is just it, it's because if, if you, you were looking at that and for five years ago and you saw that and you saw a runner starting on second base in the eighth inning in a tie game you would be like what the hell is this like what what does the game come to i mean Certainly, LJ, oh. me and you stand on, on a different sides, but it's it's interesting that they choose to start it in the eighth. By that logic, I forget who says said it. If somebody knows, they can certainly at me on Twitter. But I, from my experiences, or that's not what I meant to say. I'm sorry. Got a little distracted. Um, there was somebody on either Fox Sports, NBC Sports, or somewhere that flat out said, the biggest thing that I think probably should change at some point is mound visits. The, the pitching coach and manager should not be coming out to the mound just to talk to the pitcher for this reason. And this reason only Brandon, let's say that mound visits were never a part of the game to begin with. If someone tried to propose a rule where the coach could walk out onto the playing field in the middle of the inning and give instructions, People would laugh in their face, would they not? Well, I get your yeah. point. There is a there is a timeout sort of there's timeouts in every sport, really, except for soccer, football, whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't know if there is in tennis either. I don't know. I was catching up on a bit of Wimbledon today because it just happened to be on. It's been on my Scoops TV for the last potatoes. two weeks. Uh, but like Every sport has some sort of timeout where the coach is able to give instruction. I also, I think also like mound visits are pretty necessary. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying they're not necessary. I'm not wanting to get rid of them. However, I think that's the same logic doing the whole five year back five years thing on the runner on second. Oh eight yeah. That's is a very similar, is a very yeah. similar logic. Like there's still, there's merit in 
in what they're doing. They didn't just pull it out of nowhere to do this. If if they moved all games to seven innings, I would say you start the runner on second base in the tenth. Yeah, However, yeah. I, I fully understand why they're doing it with these double headers now because these seven inning double headers are meant to be a replica of the nine inning game just in seven. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. So the whole the whole point is to get them done quicker so people use less arms during the season. Meanwhile, like if you did this, if you waited till the 10th inning to do that, odds are you're getting a lot of 10 inning, 11 inning games in double headers and that would defeat the purpose. Well, uh let's get into, get into something we were actually meaning to talk about. Yeah, well, uh we kind of got into some stuff there where we want to talk about the schedule a little bit uh but yeah of course lj i'm not i have not got a chance to listen to your show that you did yesterday and i'm sure you touched on it a little bit but uh now that i'm here i can react to uh ronald acuna his uh season ending acl injury uh lj i mean i saw this last night and i was you know, this, it actually kind of hit me. I mean, this guy has been one of my favorite players since he came up. So electrifying, putting on a career year, having probably his his best uh, season so far. And to see him go down like that, it just, this is the stuff that you hate to see as a sports fan. I mean, the first comparison I saw was a Derrick Rose, because, you know, they when Derrick Rose got hurt, of course, he was very young and a very emerging superstar as well but I think that the ACL injury and certainly we'll get into this a, a bit more I think that the ACL injury is not the worst injury that he could have got because in baseball I mean the ACL in general is used for like very quick change of direction that's like one of its main purposes you're not doing a lot of that when you're hitting and then when you're in the field especially in the outfield there's not a lot of quick like changing direction back and forth so hopefully he can have a strong recovery it's gonna suck because he's gonna more than likely miss opening day 2022 uh but we've seen other mlb players like uh, chipper jones he had uh, he tore his acl he came back successfully we've seen guys in other sports like adrian peterson who tore his acl and then came back and won the mvp almost set the single season rushing record uh it, you know, I, I've heard that you get your knee can actually come back stronger uh, after your ACL because you are doing after torn ACL because you're doing so much rehab stuff. But certainly hate to see this. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a big loss for the game. Well, the other thing is, and just to keep on a positive note for Braves fans, I think that for that Ronald Acuna maybe he's not the same bona fide top three player that he look he is right now or looks like he could be right now. However, if he has issues with his athleticism coming back from this, 
I don't think that really puts him that far off. Like he's still going to be a good, he could be still be a very good MLB player without all of that athleticism. I mean, you think about it, maybe, maybe that requires a change of position that could, that could cause some trouble. But even if you had to move him somewhere that he could be more of a relaxed position, maybe if it's even ends up having to be a DH standpoint, there's a lot of things that don't directly require that athleticism that he does very well, that he could be, he can still be an incredibly valuable asset to a team if he does not come back strong from this. Yeah. And like uh, I was talking with someone else about it and I said, look, like he's a line drive hitter. That's just what he does. I mean, me and you had the conversation where sure he has, he has power, but he's not going up there trying to hit home runs. He just hits really hard line drives that end up going out. That's why he has such a high batting average while he does it. A torn ACL, when you come back on it, like, yes, your knee's going to be stronger, but it doesn't really affect your swing. Like, if this was an arm injury, a shoulder injury, like a rotator cuff, even back, you know, something like that, sure, that might affect your swing because those parts of your body are, you know, exerting more during the swing. Really, with your leg, I mean, you're just, like, if anything, you're taking a little step just to kind of balance your weight uh prior to swinging so it's in terms of hitting i mean i really don't see him falling off like yes he's going to be out of baseball for a while and sure he's got to get back into the swing of things but this guy is an all-world talent like he's an all-world talent he sees the ball incredibly well and i mean it, it sucks for the braves i mean we can talk about it this way because they could really use a big second half. And this is exactly the thing they don't need because it seems like everything that could go wrong for them has gone wrong this year. You know, you, we could start with Huascar and Noah, who is pitching so well for them, then punches the bench, breaks his hand. He's out for a couple months. Uh, Freddie well, Freeman got off to a slow start and now a I would say I, I would say it goes farther than that. I would say the second Monday night game of the season – that blown call, that, that's still the worst call of the year. and Very bad, yeah. That's still the worst call of the year. And there have been a lot more games played since then. That really started the season on a bad note. I wasn't willing to say this last night. However, after taking more consideration, I feel comfortable in making this take. I think it's probably time for them to sell what, the, what they can or what they should. Not sell for a complete rebuild. However... I just don't see how this season comes back. They need a they need a huge second half to be able to compete. So far, they have not competed to their talent level even. So if you're not even competing to the level of talent you had on the team and you're in third place, you're going to need a big back half. And I don't think they can get that big back half that goes past their original talent level without Ronald Acuna, especially seeing he allotted for a lot of that talent level. There are there and there are guys who you can move. The first guy that came to mind was Charlie Morton. Yeah, I mean he's on an expiring contract, right? He signed that one year deal. I think it was for fifteen million? million dollars, and he's certainly been pitching well enough. Every team that that is active with the trade a deadline every single year is looking for a starting pitcher. I mean, some everyone could use an extra starter, just another pitcher. I mean. He would certainly fill a gap for a lot of teams. Uh, you know, it's hard to 
because you know you, I'm not really sure where else uh they could go from I'm there. Kinda, LJ, I'm kind of throwing do you have any other right names now. in mind. Um, well, Pablo Sandoval would be an intriguing pick. Again, he's kind of fallen off since the beginning of the year. However, if there's somebody looking for a DH late in the year that hasn't filled that out in the American League, or if they're looking for another pitch, pinch hit at bat, he he could provide some value, maybe minor value. But again, it was a sweetheart deal for the Braves to get him. So really, I guess the question is, why wouldn't you? For that type of deal, um, who was the other guy I was going to say? I don't know what his contract is. I'm assuming it's not very large. And then you'd also have to find a right fielder to replace him. But here, Adrianza is probably overperforming right now at an 800 OPS. Yeah, he's at a, he's uh, on a $1.5 million deal. So uh, I would say him. I would say Morton. I would say... Maybe Smiley. Other than that, I mean, I don't think you touch the bullpen. It hasn't been that good to begin with. I think you kind of have to stick with Will Smith because you don't you have a better that. option. Yeah, I mean, he's been he's been all right. Like I wouldn't say he is a stud. Like if like you could move him if you had a better option, and I don't think you'd miss him. Everybody else is going to be under team control for long enough that I think you want to stick with him. But I mean. Those four names, I think, provide enough value to me to look at stuff like that. I've got an underrated name here who I don't even think we've brought up one time on this show, but certainly is an interesting stat line. Luke Jackson this year, uh, in 33 innings of work out of the bullpen as the setup man, one of the setup mans, he's worked a 1.64 ERA. Uh, 34 Ks to 15 walks, certainly not bad. Uh, he still has another year of service time remaining after this year. So if a team's looking for a reliever, he could be there. His FIP isn't the greatest, but ERA is uh, low, certainly. I mean, LJ, I think that they could move Will Smith, honestly. Uh, sure, you want to stick with him, but teams are going to – he has a lot of value because he's a lefty. And that's what teams are going to want. And, you know, they, they see what he's been able to do in the past. Only thing with him, he's on a big contract. I mean, $13 million this year. So you figure you prorate that. All right, you're maybe paying like 4 or $5 million at the most if you're another team. But then $13 million next year and then a $13 million club option for 2023. You know, is, is, is a team really going to want to take on $13 million next year. Could the Braves do something where they retain a little bit of money? You know, I'm sure that teams are going to want a left-handed pitcher who can pitch late in games and they would be willing to give up a certain deal of prospects. Absolutely. The other thing you have to consider here is making lots of moves doesn't seem to really hurt this team because of how many guys they have on the IL from earlier in this year. I mean, Looking at their injured list, I mean, Huascar, you know, we were definitely talking about the other day. I remember that he's getting close to returning. So that that allows them to slide somebody into one of the pitcher starting pitching spots. That gives them that, that spot there. You have uh, Tuki Toussaint. Have we heard anything about him? You know, he, he wasn't pitching well last year in the majors. 
when he was up. Uh, I haven't heard anything about his injury, but all I remember is that he has struggled since he's been in the league. I believe he had debuted in 2018, and he has struggled uh, a bit. He has shown improvement, but 2020 was not very good. But again, it gives – would you call him major league competent? Like, not good, but – If good I enough. mean, he's like good a, enough to get through he's innings. a quadruple-A player, I think, right now. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember. Together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Yeah, again, I'll take that. Again, if you're not, if you don't think you have a shot at this, if Atlanta doesn't think they have a shot at this, then I really don't think there is a ton of harm in putting that guy in if it's just a placeholder. I mean, that's what the Red Sox did for their entire season last year. It was painful, but it got the job done. I mean, it got us a decent player here and we're back stronger than ever. So, yeah, I mean, I certainly think he could be, he could be in play again if you traded a guy like, um, Morton, if somebody for some reason wanted Drew Smiley, I don't know. I'm not sure who you'd have, how many drinks you'd have to put into a general manager to get that deal done, but it could potentially have happened. Like there, there are guys on this injured list that could potentially come back sooner rather than later that could provide relief to this group. So they're not bringing up new pitchers that they aren't necessarily sure are ready. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And also, it's uh, something important to know is that Freddie Freeman's a free agent after this year. I mean, we don't expect him to go anywhere, but that's $22.4 million that they are opening up on their books. So you assume some of that money is going to him. Charlie Morton is a free agent. That's opening up $15 million. Smiley's going to open up $11 million. They have money to spend. So they can sell off here, but remember, they have such a young core in Austin, Riley, Acuna, Albies, Dansby Swanson, Ian Anderson, Max Freed. All these guys are really young where you're going to be able to shed some money and shed money to be able to spend it this offseason if you want to. You know, Try to rework that starting rotation a bit. Try to get some guys out in the bullpen. I mean – there's nothing wrong with a soft rebuild. There's no absolutely no, no shame in it. No, especially because with such a limited amount of teams making the playoffs, that's the great thing about the MLB is that you can't just sit in a purgatory year after year like we see teams in the NBA do where they just sit mid-pack year after year, constantly getting the six or seven seed, and they can just ride by like that. That's not how it is in the MLB. Only, only 10 teams make the playoffs here. You know, it's the big boys. Yeah. So. Again, yeah, and again, like uh, this, 
it, it, it feels too soon to say it, but I genuinely think there will be only one team making it out of this NL East now. That wasn't at all what we thought going into the season. Just about everyone has underperformed. I still think even with the amount of crazy scheduling that the Mets have this year, they could have room to perform better in the back half if they stay healthier than they did last half. They could perform better than they did in the first half. So so they could expand their lead. But either way you look at it, Atlanta is currently below 500, four games back in their division, and seven games back of the wild card. I'm a little concerned. I'm a little apprehensive to say for, for sure that the wild cards are out of reach. I'm very close to saying that, though. Like, I'm very close to saying that we will get both wild cards out of the NL West. I need a little more time on that. Maybe ask me at the end of July. But either way, I don't think they're better than Cincinnati. I don't think they're going to be able to outplay Cincinnati and Philly in the back half of the year to get to that playoff you might as well stick a fork in them at this point. Yeah. Yeah. The NL East, certainly what we thought was going to be the best division in the league. Uh, you know, this it, just not been good. I mean, the Mets are really the only team that seemed to have a well-rounded team. The Phillies, I want like, I want to root for the Phillies. I want the Phillies to be good. LJ loves Bryce Harper. We both, like players on that team a lot and it's just I don't know what is wrong with them and they just sit sitting at 500 this year just seems absolutely not where they should be the bullpen has not been improved from last year they are still it was a step it was LJ there's they're still 23rd in ERA uh 24th in hits per nine 24th in home runs per nine It, it it doesn't matter if it was a step Last year, they had the worst bullpen since World War II. That lost them how many games? This year, they went out and they got Archie Bradley and Jose Alvarado. Jose Alvarado's been good. Archie Bradley, not he's been okay. I mean, he hasn't been what we expect out of Archie Bradley usually. Hector Neris has done his usual thing where he will blow X amount of games per year but still keep a good strikeout-to-walk ratio. Ranger Suarez, I thought, was the guy there for a minute, but he's had a rough uh, couple of minutes. I mean, I, I don't know what, what, what's wrong with that bullpen. And Joe Girardi, for as good as the bullpens he had with the Yankees, it, it's not translating well with the Phillies. No, there also just seems to be something missing. Like, there's a piece both chemistry-wise and, like, actual talent-wise missing from this offense to really make it as scary as it could be. Also, I feel like it doesn't help that every single time they get something good going, Gene Segura starts acting like a complete idiot. Have we noticed this or no? Oh, no, no, yeah, we have. Like, he, he has consistently found ways to screw up games this year in a way that I've never seen him do that before. I'm not sure if it's an issue with the manager. I'm not sure if it's an issue with the team and he's not focused, what it is. However, that could potentially be something to look at going towards the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, I think it also what doesn't help, it certainly doesn't help Dave Dombrowski's reputation and job is the fact that the Red Sox went from having the third worst bullpen ERA since World War II to having a top 10 bullpen 
in that same stretch that they that the um that the Phillies only went up seven places. Like, I mean, I know we shouldn't compare teams that way. However, that oh, does no, not help. That's fair. That doesn't help their progress. No, but also Dave Dombrowski, he didn't really come in till like the end of the offseason. Mm. He's not even the GM. He's president of baseball operations. Sam Fold is the GM. You know, I there I don't I'm not really sure how much GMs have complete control. There's so many heads in the front office now and the analytics departments for these teams. They're more of a talking figure than anything. Sure, they are making moves and they're on the phone, but they're getting a lot of insight from people behind them. I mean, the movie Moneyball is a perfect example of trying to show that. But uh, LJ, do we want to talk a little bit about the MLB draft? That Absolutely. I think that's probably the biggest thing to talk about today. Certainly the best story is the first round of the draft. First off, what a great idea to have it all-star weekend. I have to give, there's a couple of things I have to give MLB props for in this whole process. One of them is that not only do you get it more publicity by putting all of your big events on one weekend and you can market them all at the same time, but it's going to make the next couple of weeks so much fun. For those of you who don't know, first or first year rookies, like the rookie, the year, year a rookie is not allowed to be traded until the year after he's drafted. So you can't trade rookies from last year's draft. Players from the 2020 draft are not eligible to be traded until after this 2020 draft. That So moving the draft from June to July makes a huge difference on the trade market. So many deals that you would normally see done in early July or late June aren't being done because a huge pool of talented prospects that could be moved are not available to be moved yet. And everyone's holding out on that. So what we're about to see is an absolutely wild two weeks going towards the trade deadline where all of the moves that probably could have been made over the last month, month to five weeks are being made in two weeks. Yeah. So from what I understand, some of the players could be included in like, so as a player to be named later, they could be included in that pool of players to be possibly selected. But in terms of like actually being able to trade them, not they can't, really. They can't you know, be physically moved. Be trading for like a first or second round pick as a player to be named later. So it's mostly not guys. So guys who have been dealt or have been guys who have not been any sort of impact. But no, you're right, LJ. I mean, these are teams that, are going to be seeing players that they thought that they just missed out on in the draft last year that they still are really high on. And now, I mean, it sucks that they didn't get to play really any sort of minor league ball last year, but they have any sort of stats that they have accumulated so far this season, if their season has started yet for wherever they're playing. So yeah, uh, certainly, hopefully we have a good trade market here in these next coming weeks. It seems like a lot of GMs have been holding out uh, to for it, but it could just be. It just seems like there hasn't been a lot of trade talk in general. It's it does pick up within the next few weeks though, so should be good. Yeah. Right, as so, for the draft. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the title that we were talking about using before this episode sums this up well. 
some people really just like to see mock drafts burn because we saw that right away the first pick of the 2021 mlb draft for the pittsburgh pirates went with henry davis of louisville he was their catcher four-year junior and we were talking about him as potentially a fifth pick in this draft he certainly was not the um decided decisively the first pick but the thing was no one was decisively the first pick this year it was kind of wild i mean brandon correct me if i'm wrong there were probably five people right now that you could say this is the best person in the draft and no one would tell you you're wrong no and i think that you could have made a case for a couple other guys too i mean as far as i heard there was still some GMs extremely high on Kumar Rocker, even though some, even though he does fall out of the top 10. I'm sure that there was some GMs where if they had enough draft capital, and I'll have LJ get into that in a little bit for those of you who were not very uh, informed on the MLB draft and the way that it works. Uh, if they had enough draft capital, they would be taking Kumar Rocker earlier. But Henry Davis, what I can say about him uh, – has a very high ceiling as a hitter uh the you know four year uh is that right he so he went to louisville so he uh is a junior we just played his junior year catcher so uh certainly in terms of positional value you aren't getting much more uh than at catcher i mean that's probably the most valuable spot and yeah, it could be a plus plus bat. Uh, he, uh, the closest per projection I saw was Will Smith, which like, I mean, if he turns into Will Smith, I mean, that's a that's a solid catcher. He's an extremely good hitter. Uh, so, yeah, congrats. I don't, I don't think that's even his best skill. And this is something again, just shout out to where I I really got this analysis. I got this analysis directly from the draft show but i really do think that this was the one one particular spot that they seem spot on and that is he is a plus plus person like he is at least a 70 grade personality tool if to, personality were a tool right now and that's a huge deal for a catcher i mean granted i've only really heard him like interact with just their like three minute four minute interview that they had before the draft however you could tell he was incredibly personable he exuded confidence he exuded control everything that i saw in that interview screamed the type of person that can run a pitching staff which i mean is something if you're picking a catcher number one overall you are expecting this guy to be your catcher for the next at least seven eight seven eight professional years so if you're going to be that guy, if you're going to be your start a starting catcher for that long in this league, and you're going to be a high-level one, you need to be able to be a leader of men and a leader for the those pitchers to get them all get them all through it, work them all through it. And I really think that from what I've seen, he has those intangibles. I think that's a lot of why they drafted him. Yeah, it it should be known though that uh some scouts are not very high on him becoming a catcher 
they would rather see him at maybe third base or a corner outfield spot because he does have an incredibly strong arm. Uh, they're not sure about his receiving ability and uh, whether or not he can handle top, top quality pitchers. But the reason he's going first overall, first of all, his his hitting is, you know, in, I mean, here's his slash line from this year in college. 370, 482, 663. I mean, whether you're a catcher, a third baseman, an outfielder, whatever, if you're hitting 370 with a 482 on base percentage in college, like, yeah, you're hitting right there in the meat of the lineup. You are one of the best players in the country at that point. And look, I mean, the Pirates need just some sort of spark on their team. Uh, it does not surprise me that they did go in this direction, but I think that's the great thing about the MLB draft, LJ, like you were saying. In like the NBA and NFL drafts, we know who the number one pick is about 90% of the time. MLB drafts tonight, we genuinely had no idea. I mean, it could have been Henry Davis. It could have been Jack Leiter, who we're going to talk about next. It could have been a couple other guys who we're going to talk about too. So, yeah, uh, certainly love the draft. And, uh, yeah, congrats to Henry Davis once again. Yeah, honestly, one of the things I always say, again, before we get too far into this, with the MLB draft is probably the closest that you're legally allowed to get as an organization to gambling without it becoming illegal in American sports is the MLB draft. There is usually, with the rare exception of some of the top pitchers they decide to bring up as a reliever, you are going to have at minimum two years of developmental time between when they're drafted and when they actually see the pros. And then from there, it's going to take at least two years usually for them to become whatever they're going to be or look exactly like what they're projecting out to be. So there is a lot of time for every single person on this list to either fall off the face of the earth or make the pros be an all-star, be the best person in this draft. No one, in my opinion, should be necessarily blamed unless there was obvious red flags with a guy. No one should be blamed for making a pick and not picking somebody else who fell behind them. With that being said, Jack Leiter, the top pitcher from Vanderbilt, goes to the Texas Rangers at two. We might as well group these together as the other Vanderbilt pitcher, Kumar Rocker, ended up going 10 to the New York Mets. Yeah, Jack Leiter, who a lot of people think uh, was the best pitcher in this draft, and certainly the Rangers do. They take him with the number two pick. Uh, well, here's what I'll say first about Jack Leiter. When your dad is Al Leiter, uh, you know, you got a pretty good person teaching you how to pitch. Uh, I would say that at first, wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, two-time all-star. Uh, got Cy, Cy Young votes in his career, pitched for 19 years in the bigs, 42 war as a pitcher, like very solid. And then you add in the fact that he went to Vanderbilt, which is where we've seen some top pitchers like Walker Bueller, who comes to mind and who actually his comparison was tonight. We've seen him go through that program with the same pitching coach, same manager and everything. And then you look at what he actually does in his stuff. 
LJ. I mean, he's got a 99 mile an hour fastball. He's got a slider that some say is the best pitch in the whole draft. I mean, what what isn't there to like about this kid? He's just watching him pitch his first ever SEC game start, which we know how competitive the SEC is in college baseball, all those Southern teams. He throws a 15 strikeout, no hitter. Oh, shit. I'm, I mean, it's just. In other news, I just got my hands on, on a uh, Chrome Auto Nick York card from last year. Oh, very nice. Just completely random thought just came across my email. Um, oh, but yeah, right. you're right. This is this is this is a this is a guy a guy who has those can't miss peripheral like obvious things that point towards potential to me. If that made any sense, like you see everything. It, he is clinically a good pitcher. Really, the only thing you've seen that you can complain about in this guy is measurables. And are are we hung up on measurables on MLB Daily? I'm not sure. Are we? I can't. I'm confused. I don't know. Well, you see, the thing is, we aren't very much of a math pod. Like, we can read stats, but in terms of actually doing math, we're not the best. So, I don't know about a measurable. No, yeah, see, economics slash the Syracuse University economics finance major may not be the greatest at math. Just admitting it right now, so. Yeah. The economics major requirements at Syracuse mainly require counting models. All right. Fuller <laughs> <Older> empty. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, LJ, Kumar Rocker to the Mets falls all the way to number 10. Uh, yeah, what do we think about that? It's a cool spot for him to go, right? It's a very cool spot for him to go. Um. I'm not sure. I, I mean, I, I feel a little salty because I do think I, I truly do think no matter what those stats tell you, he has a very, very high ceiling. Like he could easily be a he will certainly, I think, be a starter. I heard somebody who was it said earlier. I think we both heard it that they could see him end up ending up as a reliever. I oh, disagree yeah, one of with our friends. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, actually, it was our informant from the Pittsburgh. Our informant, that's right. Our informant. Um, our, our informant from the Pittsburgh Post because that thinks that he could be end up as a reliever in the future. I disagree with that. Pundit. What? He's yes. our pirates pundit. Our pirates pundit. Um. <laughs> anyway, he. Um, yeah, I I disagree with that. I I think the floor is probably a MLB four for a couple of years would be the dead floor for this guy. I could easily see him being a one. And if he ended up being a one alongside Syndergaard and DeGrom for several, a couple of years, that is a very nice one, two, three. And then I got Carlos Carrasco. Yeah. And I think the one thing that's going to help this guy is people forget that you can use metal bats in college. <laughs> so these pitchers who are cranking it up there, like Jack Lighter, like whoever, when you're throwing 95 or 96, all right, it's coming off a metal bat. It's coming back. I mean, the exit velocity is, you know, I, I, I would have to assume it's pretty high. Like, obviously, the guys in the majors are 
crushing the ball, but I think they switching to wood bats helps them in the minors like a, a small bit. Like I would have to imagine just, you know, the, the contact's not as hard. The fielding is a bit better in the minors. I think that he could he could benefit from some, from something like that. Certainly, he's a great pitcher and doesn't need solely that at all. I mean, that's not the point. A lot of people thought that this guy was going to be going first overall about a year ago from now. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh, cosmic, crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Yeah. Well, frankly, I think, I don't, I don't think you would have been wrong to say that he was the best player in this draft. I put, I included him in my five. Like I still, I still have a very high, high outlook on this guy. It's great stuff. It's amazing, measurable. This guy's freaking huge. Not only is he tall, he's long, he's big. He's got a very sturdy base to the point where you're not going to think his arm is going to fall off throwing a hundred. Like, he ha- he has bulk to him. This compared to Jack Leiter, who where is he standing? Five eleven. He's six. So Jack Jack Leiter six one two oh five. But more but, all, but every every single guy's height's inflated in sports teams. So let's call him five eleven to six foot. All right, and then so yeah, but I would say that 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 a Kumar Rocker is actually six five two forty five. He yes, he's freaking huge. He he looks like he's two hundred forty five pounds. In six five. Absolutely. So again, with that stuff, like there is a history of first off, starting pitchers really very often do need to be a little bigger than six foot to have long-term success. There are a ton out there that are short and have long-term success. There, of course, are exceptions. However, I think the key term that I used there was long-term. You have you can have guys like Tim Lincecum, who are very small and pitch great. However, he did not last. His prime was incredibly uh, short, largely due to injuries. And so I think as you get shorter, as you look at shorter players, the ceiling technically lowers purely because I'm not sure that the time frame of his peak can be as long as somebody that's a little bigger and has a bigger build. Yeah. I think another short pitcher who I honestly, I might put in the conversation for one of the most underrated pitchers ever, Johan Santana. Mm-hmm. He was only six feet tall, 210 pounds. So sure. He had a little weight on him, but once again, six feet tall, Tim, Tim Lincecum was what, like five, let me pull it up right now. Tim Lincecum was five eleven. So 
yeah, you know, but I don't think it should be an issue, but we should keep moving on here quick. I wanted to just briefly touch on this third pick, Jackson Job. Uh, LJ, just real quick thoughts on the Tigers selecting another pitcher uh, and Jackson Job, a guy who a lot of people like, and is he was one of the most advanced, uh, according to MLB.com right here, this, the first line of his re- scouting report says, one of the best and most advanced high school pitching prospects in recent years. They have to be ready to spend, man. Honestly, like, first off, I'm going to enjoy the fact that seeing now all of these high school prospects are younger than us. We can start calling them kids. This kid's going to be good, but you have other much bigger needs elsewhere in your organization. You have maybe long-term two outfield spots and an infield spot that you uh, that you can say I feel I feel very strongly that these guys can be around for another five years are you counting Spencer Torkelson as one of the no. outfielders okay you should count him he was the number one pick in one of the drafts oh I'm sorry I meant two then I'm sorry I, I switched up his I a lot of people forget about him like he's well, quietly the number five prospect and was like the number one pick a couple years ago and it's just like eh my problem, my problem is I always flip him and Adley Rushman. Ah, uh, yeah. So I was talking about him as the infielder, <laughs> not outfield. So yeah, all right. So you got two, all right, three outfielders that you can say, okay, this these guys are solid players. These guys could be around for another five to seven years. Outside of that, there's no one I'm really loving in that on that lineup. So you now have your top three or a theoretical top three in Scooball, Manning, and Mize, all set there. Why would you not just go ahead and uh, start filling out this team? Like, you're going to have to spend legitimately to get an MLB caliber lineup to go with this pitching staff in a few years because you cannot waste these guys' entire primes with a bad lineup. It's yeah, just, but, yeah, but this is a team that we've seen has been more than willing to spend in the past. Oh, so. I know, but it just feels like they're, they've got a lot of spots that they have to do that with in not a lot of time. Like, you know, I think that they could be a team where if they're competitive enough, could be close to the luxury tax in five years from now. Like you could laugh at that, but I honestly think that if they, if they, if the ownership sees where this is going and, and these, these pitchers start to get in the right direction, they will be. 160 70 a million dollar payroll i mean that's where i hope they're at because oh i agree i just don't think that luxury tax money goes as far as it used to very fair because of the right i think i think i think the middle middle of the line guys are getting a higher a higher salary than they were at one point in time and so by that logic you're not getting the same amount of players for that money. I just think I think they need a few more internal pieces if they're going to be legitimate because in my book your window starts next year. You've got Casey Mize year 2. Tariq Scooball, is this still technically year 1 for him? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll say year 1 for him. All right, yeah, let's call it year 1 for him. 32 innings last year. So, year 2 for Mize and he's already really panning out. Year Year one still for Scooball, and he's looking better than he did last year by a significant amount. He's starting to get comfortable in there. 
I really think he could he has only room to get up go up from there. So you were thinking year two for Scubal and Manning, that is going to be crucial for them to succeed as a team. Like if you do not start getting this team together after next year, the year after that, you're really starting to waste these guys while they're in their athletic primes. And that isn't something that you can afford to do when you have been as bad as Detroit has for the past several years, trying to build up this farm system, building this farm system with a phenomenal pitching group, and then not having the pieces to do something with it. Well, LJ, if you would like to briefly talk about the Red Sox pick, uh, and then we will get on to, uh, we want to talk about the all-star replacements and then the game. So yeah. Uh, Take it away. Um, yeah, fourth pick in this draft was um, Marcelo Meyer, um, or as he will soon be called, Marcelo Maya. And uh, <laughs> what do you call it? Yeah, no, I really like this pick. Of course, I was going Kumar here partially because, you know, as a fan, I have a short – the short window is usually the one I'm dead set focused on. I see a path where this team becomes – a World Series contender within the next year, and if not, they, if they aren't right now, and so bringing in a guy like Kumar Rocker, who who could potentially come up by next year and be a significant impact on that team, that excited me a lot. A guy like Jack Jack Leiter excited me a lot. A guy like uh, Will Bednar excited me a lot. Another guy that I think really kind of must have fallen off the earth over the past week or so to drop down to fourteen is. Yeah, from Mississippi State, I really liked him as well. However, I cannot complain with Marcella Meyer. Not only do I think he has a very good shot, or at least a extremely good case, I mean, to be considered the top position prospect in the draft, I believe MLB.com ranked him the top player in the draft. So to get him at four is amazing. And he gives a lot of flexibility because you have a 34-year-old J.D. Martinez here, who I love him. However, I don't think you cannot give him a super long contract after this. Maybe at most when he, he will leave this team at 35 after next season. I don't think you can give him more than a year or two, which means the DH position opens up. You can slot Rafi in there. He can do all the great things he's great at and not the things he's inconsistent at on a regular basis, make him the full-time DH. That is a great fit there. You slide Mayer in there. This also gives us insurance in the event that we do lose Xander Bogarts. I know that is an unlikelihood. However, it's something we need to be prepared for just in that event because he is 100% right for saying, I'm not taking a pay cut next time. I mean, he saw what happened to Mookie. He saw what happened with this team where they just blew it up and didn't really care about winning from a front office standpoint last year. He has a right as the main franchise piece here to be upset with the direction the team was on. And he has, frankly has partially a right to give us a little run for our money here. I think everyone within the organization and within the fan base agrees. You, you do whatever you have to do to keep him in town. However, if for some reason he ended up leaving, Marcel Meyer is probably the best case scenario to replace him. The Yankees' first pick was uh, Trey Sweeney, a shortstop from Eastern Illinois. Picked him 20th overall. 
what I know about this guy is that uh, he's actually a pretty good contact hitter, which is something the Yankees could use. Uh, they said like around average, average major league power they're projecting, but good bat speed. Uh, they want him to add more loft to his swing. So just can't wait for him to turn into another, uh, you know, a typical Yankees player uh, just sells out all of his contact skills and goes for home runs on cough, cough, labor Torres. But uh, yeah, it's look, I mean, I'll take whoever at this point. The Yankees haven't had great success drafting in the first round the past couple of years. They usually draft catchers. So uh, I'm fine with this pick. Uh, LJ, I also wanted to mention, not sure if this is going to mean anything in the future. And certainly I know absolutely not nearly enough about the draft to be making a, this assumption. But the Angels, who we always make fun of for not getting pitching, Kumar Rocker falls into their lap and they take another pitcher over him. A guy, Sam Bachman, who is the number 14 overall prospect. Look, I mean, if teams are down on Kumar Rocker, that's fine. But if if this kid, Sam Bachman, turns out to not be a great pitcher and the Angels <laughs> could have had Kumar Rocker, and if he turns out to be a great pitcher in the bigs, I mean, this is going to be something that, like, they're going to look at and be like, this is how we failed Mike Trout and Shohei Otani was because just this is one of the many things. But, yeah, I understand. However, everything I've heard seems positive about Sam Bachman. Oh, course, no, yeah, like I not, said, not, I, not a very high pair, not a very high pedigree going into college. However, his stuff looks good. His numbers looked great. I believe it was the the lowest whip in the nation last year among starting pitchers. So you can't you can't argue with results. So I, I think they certainly have reason to like Sam Bachman. I also don't see how so many teams had a reason not to like Kumar Rocker. It was just the way that he pitched lately. I mean, his like his his back half of the season was questionable. But also the Tigers pick just came in. They just drafted another starting pitcher with their uh, 32nd overall pick. It was still considered the first round. We're in like the compensation pick range. But Tigers are just – they're just going to draft every single pitcher until they can get uh, no they're no here's what they're 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 trying to get back that 2012 rotation when they Cy Young rotation. Like, yeah, the oh the almost all Cy Young rotation. If only Doug Fister could get his Cy Young still. I saw um, Doug I saw him pitch one time, Doug Fister. They lost. <laughs> um um on a serious note, uh, in terms of expectations, of course, nothing is what you expect with this whole group. However, just in short, I think what really screwed up a guy like Kumar Rocker is the fact that I was kind of surprised that the Rangers or and the uh, Tigers went pitching. Like, when I was going through it in my head, I was thinking who, who desperately needs it, or at least who's far – far enough along in it where they have to start developing the pitching. I didn't put the Rangers that far into their rebuild. I thought of course the Tigers had plenty. So I was not pegging those two spots to fit like that. So again, if, if you take those two guys out of the equation there, things could easily end up very different in the middle round here where you see guys like Mayor Lawler, 
um, all of these guys that are the top position players, guys are grabbing them because they're like, ooh, these are freebies, basically. Like, you're playing with house money grabbing these guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's, it's also like it, it, it's so hard to project even your team in the, in the future that at the end of the day, what, what position you go with really isn't uh, – it's, it's not a big deal at the end of the day. Uh, but it's certainly fun to talk about these guys now and then seemingly forget about them and then in a couple of years uh, start the conversation back up. Well, that's the great thing about the MLB drafts that they kind of go in hiding for a couple of years and turn into these superstars that then emerge. But, yeah, I think that's uh, a good enough recap on the draft. And, uh, yeah, with this being the last day with games, we got some last-minute all-star replacements. Uh, the first one I want to bring up is Manny Machado in for Ronald Acuna. So now both Tatis and Machado both make the all-star game. And then I have a list here. Uh, I, I'm going to read them off. Uh, LJ, right after I read them, tell me uh, what you think about any of these guys. But here are the uh, new all-stars to replace several of the players who uh, either either bowed out due to injury or just other reasons. Uh, Tim Anderson from the White Sox will get in as a shortstop. Chris Bassett, starting pitcher for the A's. Whit Merrifield, uh, second baseman for the Royals. Infielder Joey Wendell for the Tampa Bay Rays. Pitcher Walker Bueller for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Catcher Yadier Molina for the St. Louis Cardinals. Freddie Peralta, starting pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. Max Scherzer, pitcher for the Nationals. Justin Turner, third baseman for the Dodgers. And Taiwan Walker, pitcher for the Mets. Well, LJ, the first thing I'm going to say is we talked about Taiwan Walker being a snub. He gets his. We talked about Walker Bueller being a snub. He gets his. I talked about Chris Bassett being a snub. He gets his. We also did bring up Justin Turner. Seems like all the guys that we thought were on the fringe there do end up getting in. Uh, Casey Mize would be the only guy that I would have still liked to see. Yep, that's right. I did forget you were you were on him. Uh, he's just not going to get in because of the name brand. If you if you slap his stats on another pitcher, they're they're going to get in. But I, again, that's that's the MLB's own fault. Yeah, this but no, you could say one of your best pitching prospects. Yachty. Yeah, but you could say the same thing about Yachty getting in. What? That like it's just it's just all name brand. Like it's all. Yeah, I mean, well, first off, I think Yachty's numbers aren't that bad. No, they're not bad, but like they're not. There's a lot of people that you're saying like really like. That's you're looking at a guy. 715 OPS, 100 OPS plus. So he's an average hitter, but I swear, first off, I swear his April and May stats, I swear had to have been better than that. Like he started off the season well, I swear. Am I completely oh, yeah, crazy for saying that? No, he did. I mean, let me see what he's doing defensively. All right. That's, what, I, that's what I'm looking for now because I feel like he was also high on that list. Yeah, you know, I think you can make that that case for Omar Narvaez. The more I look at these, but things. then again, it, it, it's it's going to come down to name brand. People would rather watch Yachty play. Than I would Omar I would Omar. rather watch Yachty play, to be honest. I mean, same. It's Yachty. I mean, 
that's that's the but point the sa- of the but at the same time like why is that different i feel like that's counterproductive to the point with casey mize how is chris bassett a bigger name than the number what is it is he three seven he's a top 10 prospect still right okay uh i don't i don't know um i'll check right now i don't know if they if he still counts let's see. he still counts however um it it doesn't have it here on the fan graphs website that we use. No, I always go to the MLB one. Um, um, he is. He was last time I checked. I just clicked top one hundred. Find a player. Nice. Just says coming. So how can your find a player tool be coming soon? MLB. It's just a control F. I don't see it. All right. Uh, all right. So maybe. So maybe. He, maybe he just left. He must have just left that list. However, he was number five last year. Either way, yeah, he was the number five prospect in baseball when he made his debut. He should be one of your crown jewels as a league, especially seeing he's playing well. And instead, you choose a pitcher out of Oakland to represent. Yeah, but yeah, but he's also been playing well. Yes, he's also been playing well. This isn't me trying to say that Chris Bass is bad. However, I think they're kind of on a comparable comparable level right now and in my opinion the marketing you could do around Casey Mize the good that having Casey Mize in this game would have is enough to edge him in for me Uh, I I just checked out the war numbers uh I am surprised based on baseball reference war which is a bit different than fan graphs Casey Mize at 2.8 Chris Bassett 2.3 so Yeah, uh, certainly you do have Thanks a great finding a stat that my narrative. But you know, if if I was to make a case for a guy, I would say Sandy Alcantara. Uh, mm-hmm. his, yep. his his WAR this year is sitting at two point six. Max Scherzer, who got in, like of course it's Max Scherzer, one of the best pitchers of our generation. He's at two point four WAR also. So it's like you know they're both, you know. Sandy Alcantara's uh, got a 0.2 war lead on him. I mean, you're not going to look at that, but if you were on to say that Casey Mize and Sandy Alcantara should be all-stars, I mean, if you slap their stats on uh, Chris Bassett and Max Scherzer, those guys got in. So that's just just how it is. But, I mean, like, I, like we said, there's always going to be snubs. All-star games should be. Uh, interesting. The home run derby tomorrow night is going to be a lot of fun. So setting up for a nice all-star week. Yes, but, I still have to fill out my bracket for that. Uh, yes, I, I should tell the show. Uh, long-time running fantasy football league that we have this year's draft order. Uh, everyone, in order to set it, everyone needs to fill out a uh, home run derby bracket. The person with the most correct bracket gets the first choice of pick that they want. Should be very exciting as the draft order will be chosen in basically three hours for us. So that will be a lot of fun uh, tomorrow night. But LJ, shall we get into some of these games? Uh, I, I would prefer if we just skip over the Yankee game entirely. Uh, I would just, you know, I'd rather not. But it, I'm in, it, I'm in it, the it, same it, boat it, as you, so we, we, we must not. <laughs> If you insist. What's that? What? I'm sorry. What did you say? I said, for the good of the show, we must not let our desires uh, push us out. 
I will get things started with this wild White Sox Orioles game, which saw Baltimore end up coming back late here. Austin Hayes got this game started with a two-run home run. From there, Andrew Vaughn ends up having a bingo and a bango in the fourth and sixth innings to help Chicago out to a 4-2 lead. After a Trey Mancini home run tied it in the ninth, they go to extras. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh, cosmic, crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. In the top of the 10th, Adam Engel hits a three-run shot, including the Manfred runner on a 3-1 count to give Chicago the lead. Cedric Mullins does drive in one run, but their comeback attempt this time ultimately comes falls short. Sorry, with a 7-5 loss to the Chicago White Sox. Give the win to Liam Hendricks, who also gets the blown save here pitching that inning. Dylan Cease goes five innings, allowing two hits, two earned, and six strikeouts. The loss will go to Wells out of the Baltimore bullpen, and the save will go to Foster, his first of the year. That's Matt Foster. All right, the Marlins and the Braves. Miami jumps uh, on the board in the first inning with a Jesus Aguilar three-run home run, his 15th long ball of the year. The Braves get two back in the fourth on Ozzy Albies and Orlando Arcia singles. But then in the bottom of that inning, Garrett Cooper with an RBI double, Jesus Aguilar with an RBI single. The Marlins extend the lead to six to two after four innings. Dansby Swanson homers in both the sixth and the ninth innings. Nice, but nice. Uh, the Braves are unable to win this one. The Marlins hold on and they walk away with a seven to four win. Pablo Lopez gets the win. Six innings, three earned, nine Ks for him. He's now five and five on the year. Ian Anderson, with probably the worst start of his entire career so far, uh, takes the loss. Two and a third, six hits, four earned runs, five walks for him. And he is also five and five now on the season. Next up, I will take the first pain here with the Phillies and the Red Sox. Xander Bogarts gets scoring started here in the bottom of the second with a solo piss missile all the way out to the left field. This is a now a one nothing ball game. In the top of the third, JT Real Muto hits a two RBI single to give Philly the lead. And then in the top of the fourth, Ronald Torres takes Nick Pavetta deep for a three-run piece. This makes this a five-to-one ball game. In the bottom of the fifth, 
Alex Verdugo does drive in one to cut the deficit to three, and then two more RBI hits in the bottom of the sixth cut the deficit to one, but the Red Sox ultimately cannot make this comeback work, and they fall five to four. Give the win here to Christopher Sanchez. He pitches three innings here, allowing four hits, one earned with two strikeouts. The loss will go to Nick Pavetta. Four innings, four hits, five runs, only four earned with four strikeouts. The save will be given to Ranger Suarez, his second of the year. He went seven outs to do it. The Pirates and the Mets. The Mets score five in the bottom of the first inning. They get two home runs, a two-run home run from Francisco Lindor, and a three-run home run from Michael Conforto, and it's 5 nothing Mets. We jump to the top of the fifth where the Pirates hit two home runs. Rodolfo Castro and Michael Perez both hit solo shots, and it is to 5-2, the Mets still leading. In the sixth, Rodolfo Castro goes deep again, a two-run shot. The Pirates pull within one run. It's 5-4 to four Mets. Top nine, the Mets bring on Edwin Diaz for the save, and he does not get the job done. Allows a game-tying RBI single to John Nagowski, and we are tied at five. Then the Pirates take the lead. Wilmer Defoe with the go-ahead single in the top of the ninth uh, to make it 6-5 Pirates. The Mets unable to do anything, and the Pirates get a 6-5 win to head a 6-5 come from behind win to head into the all-star break. Give the win to Bedner, David Bedner, out of the Pirates bullpen. The loss goes to Edwin Diaz. He also gets his second blown save on the year. He goes one in a third innings, four hits, two earned runs. The save goes to Richard Rodriguez, his 12th on the season. Right. Well, the Red Sox loss didn't end up being all that bad as the Blue Jays make my day here. In the top of the third, Danny Jansen goes yard for a solo piece. The Blue Jays then add two more runs off of a Santiago Espinal RBI single and a Kevin Biggio sack fly to reach a 3-0 lead. Brandon Lau tries to get a comeback started in the bottom of the ninth with a solo piece but it will be unsuccessful as the Blue Jays take it to the Rays with this 3-1 win. Give that win to Robbie Ray, his seventh of the year, as he goes seven innings of one-hit ball. Of course, that is a shutout with 11 strikeouts. The loss goes to Rich Hill, five innings, four hits, three earned with two strikeouts for him. Sal Romano gets his seventh save of the year. All right, the... Reds and the Brewers, uh, they face off one last time before the break. And Joey Votto gets the Reds going in the first with an RBI single, and it is one nothing Cincy. We jump to the bottom of the sixth inning where Jackie Bradley Jr. ties the game at one with an RBI single of his own. Now to the top of the ninth, still tied at one. The Reds are able to get something going off of Josh Hader. Nick Castellanos ends up coming through with the big hit, a two RBI single to make it three, one reds. They're able to shut the job down in the ninth and get a three to one win. The win give to 
Ryan Hendricks out of the Cincinnati bullpen behind a Luis Castillo start five and a third, three hits, one earned run, six strikeouts. LJ, I told you this guy was back. You posted it on the TikTok since then. The day you posted it on the TikTok, he had a great outing. Today, another great outing. I willed Luis Castillo back to success. Loss to Josh Hader. His second loss on the year. Two-thirds of an inning, two hits, and two runs behind a fantastic Brandon Woodruff start that gets wasted. Six innings, one earned run, and four strikeouts for him. The save to Josh Osich, his first on the season. And the Reds, LJ, how about that? Six games above 500 after they have had quite the roller coaster season, and they will enter the All-Star break sitting very, very comfortably, certainly exceeding expectations in the first half. Absolutely. Well, let's go into this Twins-Tigers matchup, which saw the first run go on the board all the way in the top of the fifth inning. Our two RBI singles for both Akil Badu, he's doing good going into the break and Jonathan scope make this a 4-0 Detroit lead Max Kepler goes yard and then Jorge Polanco hits an RBI single to cut this to a two-run game from there the twins make this as far as a six-run game with four runs in the seventh and then two more in the eighth luckily an Akil Badu home run cuts this deficit down to one run at one point and finds the Detroit Tigers as close as three runs down going into the top of the ninth. In that top of the ninth, Jake Rogers hits a grand slam. That is a four-run piece, grand slam piece, to give them the lead. That requires Ben Rortved to hit his second home run of the season to tie the game. From there, it was Jorge Polanco scoring a three-run walk-off piece in the bottom of the 10th inning to win this game 12-9 for the Twins. Give the win to Tyler Duffy in relief. Jose Barrios goes seven innings, allowing three hits, four earned, and eight strikeouts. The loss will go to uh, Derek Holland, his second of the season, pitching the last inning in two-thirds for Detroit. Willie Peralta started this one. He went five innings, allowing three hits, one earned, and two strikeouts. All right, I will finish off the pain recaps with the Yankees and the Astros. Uh, all right, let's just get it going. Glaber Torres is able to reach on a fielding error in the third, and that scores a run. It's one nothing Yankees. Martin Maldonado, however, goes deep in the bottom of that inning. And we are tied back at one. However, new Yankee legend himself, Tim LaCastro, hits his first homer with the Yankees in the fourth. And they go up two to one. Glaber Torres with a single in the fifth makes it 3-1 Yankees. Bottom six, however, Kyle Tucker hits his 15th homer of the season. Houston pulls within one run. The Yankees, however, in the seventh and eighth, then choose to pull away. Glaber Torres... With an RBI single, makes it 4-2. to two. Gary Sanchez in the eighth with a very clutch three-run home run, his 15th on the year. It's 7-2 Yankees going into the bottom of the ninth inning, and that is where it all goes downhill. 
Chad Green comes in and allows four hard-hit balls in a row. Here's the scoring plays. Chaz McCormick, RBI doubled and pull him within three. It's 7-4, the Yankees lead. Abraham Toro, RBI double. It's 7-5, the Yankees lead. Jose Altuve steps up next with three runners on and down by two runs. Rips a home run over the left field wall to walk it off, and the Astros win 8-7. to seven. It was the most predictable home run in the history of baseball. I think every single Yankees fan knew exactly what was going to happen. We're the absolute worst team at shit-talking. Judge does the thing where he grabs on his jersey after the New York, run. New York. I'm sorry? He, he lost you the song. Don't forget that one. We're just so bad at any sort of like mocking the other team. It just comes back and just blows up in our face every single time. Gary does the does the jersey thing after his home run. Odor comes over and puts the jacket on him because he was cold. You know, that's the whole thing the Yankees are going with. And then you blow this game in the ninth inning. The Astros score six runs in the bottom of the ninth. That's more runs than they had scored in the previous 26 innings in this series. You do the math. There's only 27 innings in a normal three-game series. The win to Joe Garza. Excuse me, not Joe. Don't know where I got Joe from. To Ralph Garza, Jr., his first on the year, he goes the last five outs for the Astros. The loss to bad Chad Green. One-third of an inning, four hits, four runs. Only call him bad on his bad days. It was bad today. And wasted a very nice Jamison Tyone. Six innings, three hits, two earned run start. But the Yankees choose to use Domingo Herman out of the bullpen completely lost all faith in Chapman, like not even willing to get him up in the ninth inning. It just goes to show it's just a mess. And if you would have told me that the Yankees take two out of three in Houston, I am absolutely ecstatic going into the all-star break. Instead, now it feels like that absolute Garrett Cole, you know, the absolute gem he throws last night. It just goes to waste because there goes all the momentum that we had. We just don't sequence our losses right. Like, I, how come this loss couldn't happen in the first game of the series and then we could have the Cole game last night or the Cole game today? Instead, you know, we just – I believe we have the third worst record on the last game of the series, which is usually when you're, like, collecting your thoughts about your team. You're not, like, thinking about the future – in the middle of the series. So basically every Sunday when I come on here and talk, it, it's it's been bad because Sunday wraps up the series most of the time. And yeah, it's not a good thing when we're not good at the end of series. No bueno. No bueno. Well, we get a Chris Bass starting this next one between the A's and the Rangers. This started with not one, not two, but three runs for the Oakland A's to start this game, all of them coming on solo home runs. The first by Jed Lowry, his 10th. The second by Sean Murphy, his 12th. The third by Matt Olson, his 22nd of the year. Nick Solak does hit an RBI double in the fifth. However, Matt Olson goes yard for the second time in the game in the top of the sixth. The A's win this one 4-1. to one. Give the win to Chris Bassett. He went seven innings, allowing four hits. 
one earned and three strikeouts. That's a 3-2-8 ERA to end the first half of the year. The loss will go to Colby Allard. He's now two and six on the year. He went six innings, allowing five hits, four earned, and three strikeouts. The save will be given to Lou Trevino, his 14th. All right, the Nationals and the Giants. This one only came down to really one play, and that's in the bottom of the second. Kurt Casale with a three-run home run, fourth on the season. The Giants take a 3-0 lead. We're scoreless until the seventh when Josh Harrison gets the Nats on the board with a ground out. The Giants win this one 3-1. Those are the only two scoring plays. Kevin Gaussman, great start to cap off a great first half for him. Six innings, one earned, nine strikeouts. Improves to 9-3. and three. The season ERA is down to 1.73. The loss to Eric Fetty, five innings, eight hits, three earned, seven Ks. And the save to Jake McGee, his 19th on the season. All right, next up, we will have the final American League game of the first half pre-All-Star break between the Angels and the Mariners. Ty Francis' sack fly in the bottom of the first. It gave Seattle the early lead. However, it was a David Fletcher home run, his second of the year. That seems – that's – I wasn't expecting to see that. 24-game um, hit streak, by the way, now for David. Wow. Well, it was only a matter of time out of those 24 hits. One of those had to be out, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so his second of the year, and it starts off a seven-run rally through the end of the game. Or not really a rally, but seven unanswered runs. Nonetheless, they out-hit Seattle 11-4 to in this 7-1 win. Give this win. To Jose Suarez, he went five innings, allowing three hits, one run, but none earned with four strikeouts. The loss will be given to Johan Ramirez. Johan pitched a third of an inning in relief as Hector Santiago only went three innings in this game, allowing one run. The save will be given to Rafael Iglesias, his 19th of the year. All right, let's wrap up the first half of MLB Daily with these two final games, starting off with the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks, who played a pretty competitive game last night, if you ask me. Uh, the way the Diamondbacks broadcast explained it, the other team only hit two grand slams and scored 22 runs. But other than that, uh, it was a close game. So the Dodgers pick up right where they left off. Mookie Betts, solo home run in the first inning. It's one nothing Dodgers. Stephen Volt, however, he homers in the fourth, trying to give Arizona a little bit of pride here to play for as uh, it's tied at one. Diamondbacks then take the lead in the seventh. Dalton Varsho with a two-run home run. It's four to one Arizona. Oh, my God. Are they going to hold on and win here? Uh, no. Bottom eight, the Dodgers offense finally comes alive. Justin Turner with an RBI single. Will Smith hit by a pitch with the bases loaded. Then Chris Taylor ties the game at four with an RBI single. We advance to the ninth. The Diamondbacks bring on whoever the hell it was to close it out. They do not do so. Max Muncy, three-run jack. Let's go home. Dodgers walk it off to win seven to four. 
the win to Kenley Jansen, the loss to JP, JB Bukowskis. Uh, Merrill Kelly got the start five and a third, one earned three Ks. And the Dodgers got the start from Tony Gonsolin, four innings, one earned and six strikeouts for him. And the last game, we're going to talk about the Rockies and the Padres. And starts off with Victor Caratini hitting into a double play. San Diego goes up one nothing. CJ Crone ties it in the fourth with a home run of his own, the 12th on the year for him. And it's one to one. Uh, it's a one to one game. Chris Owings then with his first home run of the year for Colorado in the seventh. They go up 2-1. Rymel Tapia drives in another run in the ninth. The Rockies walk away with a 3-1 win. They hold the Padres to four hits and uh, are 40-51 and 51 at the All-Star break. Do not think that we would say that, uh, but they have really held their own so far this year. John Gray, who has been pitching very well as of late, six innings, one earned, seven Ks for him, now six and six on the year. The loss goes to Craig Stammen. The Padres used the bullpen game today pretty much through all of their high leverage guys. He went a third, one and one third of an inning, one earned run. And the save to Daniel Bard, his 14th on the season. But uh, I believe there's the one last thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, I wanted to go over what teams are on the largest winning streak, the largest losing streaks as we head into the all-star break in the American league. The largest winning streak is the Chicago white Sox at five second largest is the twins at four and third largest is the Indians at three, the worst losing streak. Well, it's a tie between the Royals and the Orioles at four in the national league. The best winning streak is the San Francisco giants who have won four in a row behind them. The Reds have won three in a row, and then the Phillies, Dodgers, and Rockies have won two in a row. The worst losing streak, Washington has dropped four in a row and uh, eight of their last ten. But, yeah, LJ, do you have any other thoughts, comments, concerns, observations on this first half of great baseball? No, it's been it's been a lot more fun a season than I thought it'd be. It's been a lot more fun doing this podcast than I ever imagined or hoped it could be. Thank you guys for all for listening for half a season if you've been along. <laughs> Thank you for coming along with the ride no matter how long you've been here. We're having fun. I hope you guys are. Absolutely. Well, uh, it'll be the first time tomorrow that we will not record an episode, either one of us, since April 1st. Uh, is an all-star break for us. So uh, yeah, enjoy whatever you're doing out there over these next couple of days. We will reconvene on Thursday night to discuss the Yankees-Red Sox game. And we'll be back in action all the way through, hopefully through October 3rd, which is when the regular season ends. And then of course the playoffs. But uh, as for now, uh, we will be back on Thursday. Thank you for listening. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You already know the deal at MLB Daily Pod. Follow LJ and I on Twitter. Support all the Belly Up Sports podcasts. Thank you guys for making this so much fun so far. 
We cannot wait for the second half, and we will see you Thursday. See ya. Help me. Oh, no. The NA? Yeah. No, is that Friday? Yeah. Hey. Uh, Hold on. You can do this. How to say Thursday in Spanish. No, we need Friday. See you, Bernays. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this... But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet.